0: Govern our thinking, may it, uh, Lord, change our behavior as we come before the the, the the Word of God, Lord, the living Word, the Word that gives life. And so we pray, Lord, that you would speak unto each and every person here this morning, that there would be an impartation, not of a man speaking, but of the Holy Spirit giving life to the Scriptures. And so, Father, we pray that you, your blessing would be upon everything at seven days. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Last week we were looking at Revelations uh, 14, and uh, we saw that there was a parenthetical chapter uh, that really represented a flash forward in time, uh, and it gave us an overview of the book of Revelation. So it was a very important uh, particular chapter, and we saw that God started out with 144,000 and at the end of the tribulation, he's still got 144,000. God kept them all. He redeemed them, kept them, and sealed them uh, because he is the good shepherd. He didn't lose anyone. Uh, and we saw also that there was a preview right to the end of the tribulation in, in uh, this chapter 14. And We saw just before Christ's final return, we saw the angel going out with the everlasting gospel. And then we saw the importance of our Heavenly Father trying to reach the harvest. God is all about the harvest. The reason we're not in heaven is because God wants us to go out and preach the gospel to bring other sons and daughters to Him. So it becomes immensely important that we understand that this whole purpose of the instruction that when we come to church is so that we can go out and preach the word to others. Can I have an amen? Amen. Amen. We saw that the the, the everlasting gospel was preached and Jesus was still about the hospital. Uh, So it's really important. That's our mandate. It's our commission. It's in fact the great commission that we tell others. And I I, I really want to ask you to to pray and say, God, give me somebody to to share the gospel with. You know, somebody that I can just share. It'll be just like a hand in a glove. The right person at the right time. You know, if we pray and God, bring us that person. I believe the Holy Spirit will do that for us. So, uh, then we saw that the, the second angel appear in, in chapter 14, and he was sent forth to declare that, that Babylon is fallen, uh, uh, fallen as fallen is Babylon. And uh, it really is a, 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 a important to see that the uh, that Babylon, which was the end-time empire, the political and economic capital of the, the, the Antichrist reign, uh, is, is brought to nothing. Um, and so, we saw a third angel emerge in chapter fourteen. Okay, uh, and he gave this very solemn warning. It says, "Those who take the mark of the beast uh, will experience the rock of God in full measure." And uh, it, it becomes really important that we understand that. Again, okay? in secular eyes, taking the mark of the beast may seem kind of innocuous. You know, it's um, you know, it's, a, it's an innocent enough practice. It's just a pledge of allegiance to another political leader, the so-called Antichrist um, and his government. Just as if you go back in history, the same thing happened uh, in Rome when uh, you were required to, to make an offering to Caesar. You take a pinch of incense and go and uh, offer it to uh, an image of Caesar and make your pledge and declare that Caesar is Lord. Obviously, many Christians wouldn't do that, and they paid with their lives because they refused to pledge allegiance to Caesar. Um, but for for the world, as they going through the tribulation, this may just appear to be a civic duty to pledge allegiance to the Antichrist. But the Bible warns that anybody who takes the mark is going to suffer the consequences of God's wrath. Uh, and, and that is, means forever. There's no... Uh, uh, Holding that. And the idea of God holding a cup of rock, we looked at last week, and we saw that it was expressed 13 times in Scripture, that, that, that there was this cup of God's rock that would be poured out. We looked at um, Psalm 75, and verse 8. It was one of the clearest uh, there. You know, sometimes here on earth it looks as though the, the wicked get away with things. They look as though hey, the, 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 the evil, the conniving deeds go unpunished. And yes, sometimes men do get away with with evil deeds. But how many know God is watching? God is watching, and God is going to make sure that you're going to be held accountable. Um, God is watching every sinner will be held accountable for everything that they have ever done. No one escapes. Remember what Jesus said? He said, there's nothing hidden that shall not be brought to light. There's nothing that's concealed that will not be made known, but brought out into the open. So all the, the deeds that the evil think they get away with, and hey, this is, you know, we got away with it, no, God is going to hold them accountable, and this is going to be a very fearsome time for these people. The wicked will be exposed, and they will be forced to drink the cup of God's wrath. All will be held accountable. None will get away with it, not one. Justice will be served. Praise God. Aren't you glad about that? Yeah. You know, if you've ever been robbed, the one thing you want is justice. And uh, the Bible says that it makes it very plain that uh, the justice uh, will be served and that no one will get away. And we looked, uh, as Di pointed out this morning, uh, at, at the Garden of Assembly when Jesus says, Hey, uh, let this cup pass from me. And it really is the cup of God's wrath. God's wrath was poured out upon Christ uh, for our sins, for our iniquities. That, 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 that was an incredible punishment that that, uh, that Christ endured um, and so the wrath of God was poured out fully on Christ for all our sins and because the, the wicked have rejected Christ's offer of pardon of salvation here in the book of Revelation they begin to uh, pay for their sins and they're forced to drink the cup of God's wrath down to the very last drinks those who worship the Antichrist and receive his mark will be consigned to hell Whatever. Let that dwell in your thinking. Hell is a real place of suffering. And God has done everything possible to prevent man from going there, even taking our punishment and granting the vilest of sinners a full and free pardon. Can you say amen? amen. Yet the wicked consi- consistently reject God's mercy and they thumb their nose at His grace. God does not send anyone to hell. Let me say that again. God does not send anyone to hell. That's something that we need to, as Christians, understand. Because people will say, how, why, how can a God of love send people to hell? Your answer is that God does n- never send people to hell. See, it's really important that we understand it. The wicked reject God's mercy. Atamna knows in His grace. They go to hell over Christ's dead body. That's what it took to to prevent man from going to hell. Christ died in their place. Remember, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Uh, And those that follow the devil and the Antichrist walk into hell. They follow them into hell by their own choice, by their own vision. They end up in hell because they followed the devil. God didn't send them there. They chose to be there because they chose their allegiance with the Antichrist. So God is not some vindictive God punishing men, men with hell. It's a choice that the that, that wicked make. Then we saw uh, how uh, in verse 14 to the end of the chapter uh, last week how it deals with the second coming of Christ and the last harvest. And we saw how the battle hymn of the Republic came in with the champing with the of the, the, the vintage or the grapes of wrath destroyed. That really is a foundation uh, to, to uh, Revelation 14. But uh, it's very really interesting. And I, I just want to make some, some comments because uh, a lot of people will, will mock and, 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 and belittle you if, you if you believe that the Bible uh, is real. They say, well, you know, the, the blood was flowing up to the, the bridle of a horse. So that, that's pretty pretty high. And they say, that the Bible says, it's nearly 200 miles long. You know, that's the entire length of, of Israel from north to south, 200 miles. And, and the blood is. And so, but you, what you need to understand is this is not literal. Go back into the scripture and you see that it, it starts off as a metaphorical thing. Men as grapes. I haven't seen any men that look right, like grapes. And so the whole thing is metaphorical. And uh, we understand that the grapes go into the wine press and are crushed. And uh, the, 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 they release the juice, which is the, the, the symbol of the blood. And it really is to say that uh, this is the the ultimate horror of the wicked, that they, they will be crushed. And uh, it, it's hyperbole, um, and it's meant to show the complete and utter destruction of the world. That's where we got up to last week. Okay. Now we're going to uh, look Pastor, at... Pastor, what does hyperbole mean? It's an extreme exaggeration. exaggeration. I've been thinking yeah. about that all week, that word. Okay. Extreme exaggeration, and when, when you see it, you know it can't be right. Oh, thank so. you. So I've been millions of times to exaggerate. That's right. Very much. eh So now we're going to look at the chapters fifteen and, and through nineteen. They explore the, the, the last outpouring of God's wrath, the bowls of God, and this is a really important uh, passage of scripture. So uh, I'll speak fast. I hope you'll listen fast, and I hope you don't quit before I do. Okay. So Revelation chapter fifteen, verse one. I saw in heaven another angel in a great and marvelous sign. Seven angels with seven last plagues because with them God's wrath is completed. Dr. Hansen points out that you know, this verse speaks about God's wrath where the, the seal and trumpet judgments were the wrath of the Lamb. Uh, but the bold judgments are the wrath of God. And he said when you get to the wrath of God, it's all over. Uh, but I, I, I kind of think that this may be a distinction without indifference because after all, the wicked just get clobbered. It doesn't matter whether it's the wrath of God or the wrath of land, uh, that they get clobbered. So, hallelujah. Did we pray for the, for the message this morning? Yes, we did. We did. We I'm glad to. Oh, thank you. Praise God. Okay. So, now we come to chapter 15. We're entering into the final phases of the tribulation. And it becomes really important that we understand chapter 15 because it lays a foundation for what is to follow. Okay. So, um, having been reassured now in, in the last part of chapter 14 that Jesus in his sense will be triumphant, we move on to the rest of God's judgment. We're entering the final stages where the bold, bold judgments uh, conclude the wrath of God. Okay. This verse tells us very plainly, the one we've just read, uh, uh, that it, it's all about, the tribulation is all about the wrath of God. Whether it's the wrath of the Lamb or the wrath of God, it's all about the wrath of God. Uh, and it says, after the last bowl of judgment, the wrath is completed, it is finished. And so it becomes very clear that the tribulation is the time of wrath. That's what it's referring to. Now, that, that's important because we know the promises that, that the Bible makes to the church. First of all, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, it says, Since we've been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? We shall be saved from God's wrath through Him. 1 Thessalonians 10. And wait for the Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. Do you see what this is saying? The, The tribulation is a time of wrath, but Christ has delivered us from this time of wrath. In other words, those who put their faith and their trust in Christ do not go through the tribulation. We are raptured, we are saved, we are delivered from the time of wrath. This is the wonderful news of the cross. That that our our punishment for sin has been paid for at the cross. The world rejects Christ's uh, offer of salvation and rejects Christ's uh, payment for sin. And so here in Revelation, they are now going to have to pay. But the church are sanctified and are, are raptured safely, and we are delivered from the wrath of Christ. That's wonderful news. Aren't you glad about that? Right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. See, Christ has saved us and delivered us from the wrath to come. Okay, the tribulation is a seven-year period uh, following the rapture. In chapter 15, we see God begin to pour out his wrath on a world that rejected Christ and for sin. This is vital to understand. We need to see God's mercy, and, and I hope by the end of uh, the chapter we're going to see God's love and God's grace, even in, as He pours out this final judgment upon the world. You're going to see some things, uh, I believe, which we will we'll bless you. You know, sometimes when people read the Bible, or they come to church occasionally, and they hear a message uh, about God's wrath, they kind of say, Oh, God's mean, God's vindictive, God, he, He's cruel. Uh, And that's because they don't know enough about God, uh, and and really we need to explain to them that God is patient, and that He doesn't desire any should perish, amen? God doesn't want any one of us to perish, Uh, but we must not mistake God's patience for apathy, weakness, or approval of sin. Somebody said, For the wheels of God's judgment turn slowly indeed, but they do grind thoroughly. So, verse 2. I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name, and they held harps given to them by God. The sea of glass and fire, perhaps this is a a, a symbolic representation of the multitudes who suffer great tribulation uh, in in the midst of uh, tremendous persecution that takes place uh, in, in the great tribulation those who are victorious over the beast. I love that. There are people that are going to stand up for God in the midst of it. They're going to be defiant. They're going to be militant. They are going to be absolutely committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. They stubbornly refuse to comply with the Antichrist. They refuse, his mark. they refuse to worship him. They refuse to pay, even if it's at the cost of their life. I look at that and I think, God, I want that kind of courage. I want that kind of growth in my life where I will not take a backward step for Christ. I want to move in and say like these martyrs, God, I want to be faithful in the time of testing. And if I rely on my flesh, I'm never going to do it. But if I rely on the Spirit, God will strengthen each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. I love this. The saints were unbowed. They were unbroken. They were undaunted. They gave no quarter. It means they were victorious. And again, Remember in Revelation 12 and verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and the word and of their, their testimony, testings, and they loved not their lives. <coughs> the, the, death. Death. the early church always saw the time of martyrdom as a time of victory. That, that men stood up for God, and God honored them. And so, remember the Sea of Gloss? We, we first came across this in, in, in Revelation 4, and uh, it was right before the throne of God. You know, when you go to a concert and you, you, you want to buy tickets, the most expensive tickets are where, right next to the stage, because that that that's the place of honour where you get close. Well, the sea of glass is the place of honour in heaven, and so it's it's only fitting that when when we see that, um, it, it, that the the most noble people are given access, and these are the martyrs of God. Um, well, I think that's one Versus um, the sickle and gathered the harvest. Yeah, that chapter 14, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Um, but then the place comes, um, I thought then the people would all be gathered. Okay, it, chapter, chapter 14 is a composite of the entire book of Revelation, okay, or well, what's left in the entire book of Revelation. And it's really talking about the future events. So you have the, you have the gospel going forth, the, the last gathering of souls, uh, and, and then after that, uh, went with those that have rejected the final offer of salvation mm-hmm. then God goes in and he, he separates the wheat from the chaff the sickle goes in and these these are the men that are symbolically referred to as grapes who get crushed and begin to pay for their sins. yeah? yeah I, I think I'll just be okay, I'll to you afterwards yeah I'll talk to you afterwards right. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. so the place of honour is right before the throne goes who better and the martyrs to stand on the throne uh, uh, on the glassy sea. Verses 3 and 4 says they sang a song of Moses uh, and the servant of God and the song of the Lamb. It's very interesting to me. They sang the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Those are two different songs. The song of Moses was a song about the law and the song of the Lamb is about grace. And that's what we were saying last week, the importance of having law and grace Functioning yes. together, yeah. and it, it uh, the law makes grace wonderful. It makes grace exciting. Without the law, I don't need your Jesus. The law shows men that they're wrong, and so here they sing that the the, the 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 song of Moses, the song of the law, and the song of the land. The law mm-hmm. and grace come together, and it's marvelous. And they're saying, "Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. And just and true are your ways, King of the ages." those who've suffered the most, the martyrs, sing: Marvelous are your deeds, just and true, even though it cost them their life, That's what they proclaim. I think it's absolutely amazing. Even though it cost them their lives, they acknowledge that God is just and true, righteous in all His ways. This means nobody will be punished who doesn't richly deserve to be punished. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. I want to read a, a, a passage from Psalms, Uh, 103 verses 8 through 10. And it's really a beautiful picture of God. It says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Yes! I love it! He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. That word according means in harmony with. So in proportion to. God doesn't do that. He always errs on the side of grace. I want to read it from a more contemporary version. The message Bible says this. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve nor pay us back in full for our wrongs. I love that. You know, and there's no greater picture of this taking place than the cross. Because we deserve the wrath of God. We have all violated God's commandments. We've we've, uh, violated His laws and His judgments. We are deserving of punishment. We're deserving of the wrath of God. But the Bible says He doesn't punish us like that. He sends Jesus to take our punishment. And that's the beauty of the gospel, that God doesn't punish us as our sins deserve he put that punishment upon Christ so that we might receive the righteousness of God in Him. Hallelujah. Amen. The cross is a perfect picture of God taking our punishment. First. The just dying for the unjust. It's hard to understand that type of love, isn't it? It's, it's hard it to is. even comprehend it, isn't it? It is. It's unconditional love. No matter what we ever do for Him. How much we serve them, how much we get You can't understand that type of love. It's To me, it's, it makes me want to cry. It's amazing love. Yeah. yeah. Amazing grace. Um, yeah. Verse 4 says, and now we're getting into the cracks of what I want to share. Verse 4, Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your hand? For you alone are holy, and all the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. When I read that this week, it it, it jumped out at me. Who will not fear you, O Lord? One of the things the modern church has lost completely is the fear of God. The fear of God is just non-existent. People do not understand it, do not know anything about it. And that's the church's fault because they're back to preaching uh, uh, the, the, the fear of God and the judgment of God back in the 60s. And a whole generation has been raised up who know nothing about the fear of the Lord. It's one of the things the modern church has, has totally forgotten. Do you remember when God was trying to introduce himself to the children of Israel? They came into the wilderness. And and, and God comes down in all his glory. And and, and the mountain was a smoke and there was lightning and there was thunder. And it was an amazing spectacle. And uh, 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 everybody was absolutely terrified. And in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 20, Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The fear of God is the thing that prevents you from sinning. You lose the fear of God, and the church will apostasize. And that's exactly what is happening in the world today. We have lost the fear of the Lord. The dread of God has gone, and as a result, you see this proliferation of evil, uh, even in the body of Christ. It is absolutely amazing to me that this should happen. So, the fear of God keeps us from sin. You lose that, and you're in deep trouble. I love what Psalm 36, verse 1 says, and I'm reading this from the from the living Bible. It says, Sin lurks in the hearts of the wicked, forever urging them on to evil deeds. They have no fear, no fear, no dread of God to hold their bed. It's the fear of God that stops you from sinning. I love the fear of God. I need the fear of God. Because my natural man, my my, my fleshly being wants to sin. I, I love to sin. I have to crucify it. I have to put it to death on a daily basis. And it's the fear of God that helps me to do that. The fear of God helps me to live in righteousness. And that's something that we have forgotten about in the church today as a whole. Today we have ministers who deny the death and resurrection of Christ. Can you believe that? The fundamentals of the faith. There are ministers in ministry who say no, Jesus didn't die. He didn't. He certainly didn't rise from the dead. They are men. Exactly. Why are they still in ministry? These men need to be defrocked and kicked out of the out of the pulpits. I came across pastors. Uh, this week, using the worst four-letter language you can imagine to preach the gospel. I mean the worst four-letter words you can imagine to preach. That's compromise. This is an abomination. And they, and, they, and they haven't heard about judgment, day, have they? Absolutely, they haven't heard about judgment. You've got an American, you've got a cannabis church where you can take your dope and go and get high in church. Can't believe it. Last year we had the first Christian Witches Convention in Salem, Massachusetts of all places, the witch trials took place there. But Christian Witches Convention. We've got ministers condoning things that God condemns. You cannot be a practicing gay Christian. Can I have an amen? amen. You cannot be a practicing gay Christian any more than you can be a practicing thieving, lying, pedophile Christian. You just cannot attach the word Christian to your chosen predilection, your chosen sin, and say, "Well, I'm a Christian thief." No, being a Christian means you renounce and forsake all that. You turn away to follow God. That's what it means. So, you, if you if you're gay, you, you need to turn away from that and follow God. You need to renounce that lifestyle and come. Upon. Pastor, did you see that on YouTube? Someone swearing like that. Where did you see that? Uh, It was part of the research that I dug up. Um, It it wasn't on YouTube, no. Uh, It was one of the books I was reading. So, it it really is an incredible thing that we need to be watching. Why are these things happening? These things are gaining traction because there is no fear of God, there is no dread of God in the church today. compass. We stop preaching about hell. We stop preaching about uh, 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 fire and brimstone. And as a result, (coughs) that We now see apostasy arise. Remember, it's the fear of God that keeps us from sin. And if we don't preach about the fear of God, we've forgotten what the prophets warned. Listen to this. This scripture is speaking to me over and over and over. Nahab, chapter 1 and verse 3. The Lord is slow to get angry. Thank you, God. But His power is great. And he never lets the guilty go unpunished. Whoa. He never. That's a divine imperative. God never lets the guilty go unpunished. Saints and sinners alike never let the guilty go unpunished. What book's this? Nahum Nahum, chapter 1 verse 3. No, verse 3. Nahum chapter 1. And verse 3 yeah and i'm reading it from the, the new living translation uh and it's the second version of the new living Translation. it says the lord is slow to get angry but his power is great and he never lets the guilty come punch. i look at that and i think oh god you know if we need to come before the lord and and, and thank god for the covenant that we have because we all blow it but we need to come back to God. and you know, It's not just a case of, oh, I, I got saved and, and I can live like the devil. I've got to make sure I'm walking in that covenant, coming back to the cross daily to ask God's cleansing and forgiveness and strengthening to, to grow and live in righteousness. Can you say amen? amen? Amen. So, I want to ask you a question here. How do you know if you fear God? Think about it. That's a darn good question. I'm very proud of it. I was even more proud of the answer. God gave me one word. You know that you fear God if you are obedient. Ah, yeah. Obedience is the proof that you fear the Lord. And it's it's really important that we understand this. Because uh, if we we don't fear God, God's judgment will fall upon us. Remember Jonah in the Old Testament? Uh, God commissioned him to go and preach to Nineveh. And he decided, no, I don't want to do this for whatever reason. And Jonah decides that he's going to go in exactly the opposite direction. And he takes a boat headed for Spain. And as a result of his disobedience, God sends a storm uh, uh, that, that they fear for their lives. And it's really an incredibly... Difficult thing, and uh, it, the, the, they, they all start to pray, and eventually Jonah confesses that he's been disobedient to God, and, and they say, "Well, what must we do with you? You know, what 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 can we do about this?" And I think it was Jonah's self-sacrificing attitude when he says, "Throw me overboard," that that, that touched the heart of God. I think if he had not done that, I think that God would have found himself another prophet. Can you say Amen? amen. But I think he would, because he gave his life to save those on board, God was touched and sent a a fish. And Jonah got a second opportunity uh, to to preach the gospel. But I believe God was deeply displeased with Jonah, don't you? I mean, he sent this man on on a divine mission and he says, I'm not doing that. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to do something totally different. And I believe God was uh, deeply displeased with Jonah. His disobedience dishonored God I want to say to you, disobedience is a dangerous thing. Disobedience in the kingdom of God is a dangerous thing. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. The wrath of God comes upon those who are disobedient. When God gives you a vision or a word, we'd better be completely obedient. Can you say amen? Amen. That's really important that we do that. Because deception and judgment begin with disobedience. Titus, when Paul was writing to to Titus in in chapter 1 and verse 16, he, he made this declaration. He said, they profess they know God. These guys in church who profess they know God, but in works they deny Him being abominable and disobedient unto every good word disobedience one of the hallmarks of fake Christianity is when you think you can do your own thing when God has revealed something to you we're in dire danger do you remember Lot's wife? Uh, yeah, uh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, God said you've got to leave uh, yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah you've got to leave that place and uh, because I want to deliver you God's plan was to bless her. But they were totally um, absorbed with... Her heart wasn't in the right place. Her heart wasn't, Yes, Lord, I will go wherever you send me. Her heart was, Hey, I want to be back in, in, in Sodom. And as a result of that, uh, her heart was divided. She she was disobedient. God said, Whatever you do, do not look back at what you've left. Don't look back. And she did. And as a result judgment followed. I believe that, they, that, that that's such an important lesson that we need to understand. Look at Paul. Contrast Paul with these, with these two other characters. Remember when Paul was talking to King Agrippa and uh, he said, uh, Paul said uh, in Acts 26, he said, uh, I, I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. Do you remember that? Paul was faithful to what God had shown him and, and was going to do it. And that, as, you know, I think it's really important because we see that Paul has a healthy fear of God. When God spoke, Paul obeyed. So do not compromise. Do not support compromise. Walk away. A little leaven leavens the whole. Life. I'm old enough to remember in the church when every second Sunday was a message of hellfire and brimstone. But I want to tell you that in those churches there was no compromise. There was no apostasy like you see today. Some of you are old enough to remember there was a fear of God in the church back then. Remember Proverbs 16 and verse 6? By mercy and truth iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. We must bring back the fear and the dread of God to the church before it's too late. We really need to do that before it's too late. You know, I really feel that we need to say away with this wishy-washy gospel. Let men men do as they please, sin like they like. This is apostasy and rebellion that is growing throughout. And that's why you see, I'm telling you, God's judgment is coming very, very soon. I believe the rapture is really close by and the time of God's judgment is going to follow immediately after that. There are churches that are now complicit in sin, aiding and abetting sin, and now even promoting sin. Woe to the leaders who will not follow the Word of God, that compromise, that leading others astray. These are unfaithful shepherds. Can I have an amen? amen. Folks, if we ever deviate from the Word of God, I hope you have enough sense to leave me. If I preach heresy, walk out the door. Try try to turn me. But if I don't turn... Walk out the door, save yourself. There's a little devil in the the whole world. My Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. James says, Not many of us presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That word uh, judged is krima in the Greek. And krima means to, uh, to be judged. To be uh condemned and it means to be sentenced. We're going to be receive a greater judgment, a greater condemnation, a greater sentence, because we we stand and we're making the proclamation that we are our teachers in the body of Christ. Some have forgotten the admonitions and warnings to their perils. Look at our text. Revelation 15, for who you will fear the Lord and bring glory to your For you alone. Oh, that Greek word fear is phobia, and it's where we get our English word uh, phobia from. Where we are afraid, where we are frightened, and, uh, and we we are alarmed. It also means to hold in an awe and to hold in reverence. But the modern church knows nothing about the fear of God or these scriptures. I want you to share some scriptures with you that will hopefully will Because remember that when Moses said. The fear of God was to be a blessing for them to keep them from sin. And uh, so look at Jeremiah, says, in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 19. And I'm reading this from the Amplified Version. Your own wickedness shall chastise and correct you, and your backslidings and desertion of faith shall reprove you. Know therefore and recognize that this is an evil and bitter thing. First, you have forsaken the Lord your God, Second, you're indifferent to me and the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord of the I want to read a, a more contemporary version so that we really get a hold of what that saying. Like. Same verse, Jeremiah 2.19 from the Message Bible. It says, your evil ways will get you a sound flashing. That's what you'll get. That's very straightforward. And then I, I can understand that. Your evil ways will get you a sound thrashing. I've I've had kind of those. That's what you'll get. You will pay dearly for your disloyal ways. Take a long, hard look at what you've done and its bitter results. Was it worth it to walk out on your God? God's decree, Master God, the angel, There is a generation of rising that have never heard anything like these scriptures. All they know is that God is love. True. And thank God that He is a God of love. But He's also holy and just. And which means He's morally right and fair. And He's a God that punishes sin. Can I have an amen? Amen. amen? amen. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6. This really wraps it up so beautifully for us. It says this. For the Lord corrects and disciplines everyone He loves. Yeah. He loves. He corrects and disciplines everyone He loves. And He punishes and even scourges every son whom he accepts and welcomes to his heart and church. You know, when I was a child, I was I was the strong-willed child. I was uh, incredibly defiant, and uh, it, it, you know, it was an absolute uh, disaster, uh, mayhem and the, the chaos wherever I went. Uh, I was so violent. I was so abusive, and. Uh, it, it, yeah, I, I rebelled against every kind of authority there was. There was only one authority that I, I respected, and that was my own. And uh, I was headed one way for prison. I, I, my, I was always in trouble with the authorities. They write about me in the newspaper. I won't tell you those stories and things. I'm come up. <laughs> I'm not going to tell, tell you which, which newspapers <laughs> they were, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, it's, you know my, I made my mother's life a living healthy to continue. And today I thank God for my mother because she determined that she uh, she was going to uh, that she loved me enough to confront me every time I did wrong. And it, it, again and again she confronted. She challenged my behavior. She literally beat the hell out of me, and that saved my life. And I'm so grateful to God. For to her today, for the times that she stood and 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 withstood uh, with me, and and really covered me. Many people gave up on me. An entire community kicked me out of out of the place. But that's another story for another time. But yeah, uh, you know, my mom was not going to give up on me. She said, "My son will not be a bad person." And she belted me. She belted. I I needed it. This was not abuse, folks. Don't don't get. I just need deserve everything that I've got. She knew I was heading down the, the path of destruction, and she'd come to me and say, well, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. Some of you remember sayings like that, because you know what it means. And I think, well, you know, why don't we just call it quits, because I'm not so keen about this idea either. But she loved me enough to confront me over and over again. And as a result of that, I know today how much she loved me Because she fought so jolly hard for my life. She fought so hard to turn me. And today I am so deeply grateful for her love and her commitment. And for the fact that she beat me and beat me. But I knew she was doing it because she loved me. And she knew she wanted the best for me. And the way I was going, I was headed for prison and every bad and terrible thing that you can imagine. So I became aware of her love because of her discipline for me. That's why it says in Proverbs 13 and 15 that God makes the ways of the transgressor hard. Not because he's been nasty to the wicked. He loves them and he wants them to turn. He wants them to see, this is not the way you're going down and you must turn. So he wants to turn and bless us and that's why he makes the ways of the transgressors. More than that, He knows if we refuse His discipline and continue in our rebellion, that ultimately we will be destroyed. One of the things I love about <coughs> God's discipline is this. God's discipline starts out small. And if we're smart, we respond immediately. But if we continue in our own ways, God ups the ante. He increases the intensity and the frequency in which He deals with us. And until that time when when it becomes uh, really important that we are compliant and we obey God. One or two things happen. As God raises the intensity, we either surrender and serve the Lord and do God's way, or we harden our heart. And, and no matter what God does, we become stubborn and defiant. That's what happens when God disciplines us. Some people... No matter what you do, they just become more and more defiant. God's judgments are falling, and the wicked don't care. Remember we were looking in Revelation chapter 9, we saw saw the the trumpet judgments, uh, and it says about the people that are experiencing the trumpet judgments, that they turn not from their their murders and their fornications and their thefts and their uh, rebellious ways. God's suspends, it's more, and grows, and if we're wise, we can take heed of it. Here in the book of Revelation, it's peaking, and thank God, people are getting saved still. Even at this late stage, during the tribulation, others have hardened their hearts, and become defiant and rebellious in their ways. They blaspheme God. And it doesn't matter what God does, they just become more and more defiant. They just keep on right down the path of destruction. But God has decreed in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 21, a man who is stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. God's just going to say, enough, and that will be it. Your time of grace will be over. I love what God does. You know, He's amazing. God warned right at the beginning of uh, uh, man's encounter, He said, My spirit will not always strive with man. There is a time, there is a window of opportunity for God's grace. God gives us time to repent. That God judgment doesn't fall immediately when we sin, amen? There'd be nobody left, if that were the case. But God gives us time to repent when we discover that we, we are doing things wrong. He gives us time to repent. But if you continue and you're stubborn and your rebellious ways and don't listen... Judgment is going to fall upon you. Defy God's grace. There's a limit to how long you can sin before judgment falls. Again, look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. But do not, dear friends, resent God's discipline. Don't sulk under his loving correction. I love that. Don't sulk under his loving correction. It is the child you love that God corrects. The father's delight is behind all that. When God corrects us, when God shows us something, it's so that He can bless us. That's it's behind it all. And sometimes God needs to correct us because we reject when we are all the We often feel rejected when we are disciplined, don't we? We often feel, oh, right, God doesn't love me anymore. Life's got so do in But the contrary is true. It's an act of God's love that He takes the time and the trouble to confront us. I'm so grateful to my mom because now I understand what she was trying to do. And the heart of God is, is, is doing, trying to do exactly the same thing. He's trying to confront us and turn us from a time of trouble. It's a loving act that God brings. Revelation chapter 15 verse uh, 5 through 8. Let me just read this and we'll, we'll bring this to a close. Then I looked and saw that in the Holy of Holies in the temple in heaven was thrown wide open, The seven angels who were assigned to pour out the seven plagues then came from the temple clothed in spotless white linen with golden belts across their chests. And one of the four living beasts handed each of them a golden flask filled with terrible wrath and the living God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from His glory and His power. And no one could enter until the seven angels had completed pouring out. This is going to be the mother of all judgments the final judgment of god the bold judgments are about to fall and god alone has the right to judge the earth amen he is the creator the sustainer and the redeemer the author of life he alone is worthy to judge when god judges us we need to remember that he's omniscient he's wise god not only knows what you do he knows why you did it and so there's very little excuse for us, that we can offer. You see, He's the searcher of hearts, the finder of facts. Nothing escapes Him. We may fool men, but you're never going to fool God when it comes to Him. He's going to judge us. He knows us as we really are. And Jesus is qualified to judge humanity because He's the living God, became flesh, became man, and walked amongst us. He sacrificed His life to save those that desire salvation. And that's why he's qualified to judge. Verse 7, and I'm closing this in, in five minutes. Uh, probably less. Revelations 5, 15, 17. Says, the seven angels with the seven plagues of God's wrath, clothed with spotless white linen, with golden belts across their cheeks. The white linen speaks of God's purity, justice, and equity, and God's impartiality. God doesn't play favorites. Aren't you glad about that? When God judges, he judges fairly and righteously. The Bible says that the, the judgments of God are completely pure and righteous. Shall not the judge of all the earth do, do right? Genesis 18. The fact that no one can enter heaven, two words. It means that the time of intercession is past. The die is cast. Judgment is finally coming upon the wicked. There's no turning back. The time of judgment is at hand. I believe there's one other reason that we cannot enter into the temple. And that's because there is a broken hearted God. He is broken hearted over the destruction of the wicked. And there's stubborn refusal to repent and to be saved. Ezekiel writes about this in Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11. Saying unto them, As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But rather that they would turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Can you hear the passionate imploring of God? Can you see the heart of God justice. when He's dealing with the wicked? He says, I don't, want, I don't want to bring judgment. Turn, I want you to turn. I want you to live. I want you to save you. Unfortunately at this point in, in the tribulation the wicked have chosen the path and they're committed to evil. Nothing God does will change their hearts and their minds. They've spurned God's love and they've derided His mercy. They've shown contempt for His judgment. And they will perpetuate evil and destruction as long as they have lived. And now judgment will fall. And that's where we'll pick it up next week. Let's just bow ahead and in a word of prayer. Father, I want to pray for your church. I pray that the the men that stand in pulpits will recognize the importance of proclaiming the law, will recognize the importance to talk about the fear of God, the judgments of God. Because that's real love when we we care enough to tell people the truth, even though it's unpopular. I pray Lord that we we would be a fellowship that understands the, the fear of the Lord, that we would be those that God, would honor you and be obedient. We do not want to be uh, those that are, uh, like Jonah, and do their own thing. When you show us something, Lord, we want to be quick to obey. And so, Father, we just pray that you administer to us. Lord, we, we recognize that, Lord, all our wrongdoing is going to be held accountable. Oh. That there's not one single thing that we've done wrong that we will get away with. It will either be punished in Christ, or we all have to pay for those sins ourselves. May we be wise. May we offer the words of life to those that are perishing. May we offer these words of consolation to those who are in dire <coughs> danger. Help them Lord to understand that there is a God in heaven who loves, who cries out turn, turn, why will you die? And so Father I pray that, that we would be faithful in the Great Commission, Faithful to tell others about your great love, this wonderful uh, message that we have of hope and reconciliation and grace. And help us, Lord, to serve you faithfully. Oh. I just want you just to think for a moment and just consider the words of man that God never lets the guilty go unpunished. And, and if there's anything in your life like now that you're aware of that you want to repent of. Please just take a moment and just seek God's love. He loves you. He wants the very best for you. <coughs> I just want you to take a moment. He'd be disobedient. Thank you. So we thank You for Your sacrifice that took all our sin. We thank You, Lord, that as we come and, and, and <coughs> repent of our wrongdoings and, and seek to be more obedient and to follow You more closely, that, Lord, that in turn will lead to the richest blessings of our life. The faithfulness of our God will be unending. their destruction. So, Lord, I, I pray that You would help us to walk in obedience. I pray that You would bless us as we serve You faithfully okay. with dedication, commitment, and Lord, that we would be about the Father's business in every respect. Amen. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone, say Amen. 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 Pastor, we have a, a birthday cake today. It was uh, Christine's birthday a couple of weeks ago, and, she and tried to run away. so we've got a birthday.